All right, so today's podcast episode is based on a question that we got in the own podcast channel in the Lumen PMP Discord. This is from user uh, Nikeyman, N-A-I-K-Y-M-E-N. Thank you so much for the question. Uh, the question is, personally, I'd like to learn your journey around scaling up organizationally, in particular, what software tools you relied on and how at each stage. So if you have a question, just like Nikeyman did, uh, go into our Discord, drop it in there. We have a list of all of our potential topics. We will add it to the list and we'll, we'll make an episode about it. So yeah, so let's get into it. Hello and welcome to the Open Hardware Manufacturing Podcast, the podcast about making open hardware. My name is Stephen Haas. And I'm Lucian Chapar. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about where you draw the line in tools versus projects in software. When you're growing an organization, when do you know that you should switch over to some does it all wrapped up in one nice, neat little package software tool? Or where do you kind of maybe put that off a little bit and have a jank tool that you spin yourself? Exactly. When's it okay to procrastinate there? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So in, in this episode, we talk about the difference between a tool and a project. Where does using a system like a Google Sheet and a Google Form maybe do a little more than what it should be doing, but how that's still okay and it lets you learn a lot about what you need. We talk about how software for a company is kind of like buying shoes for a kid in that they're going to grow. So you should probably buy shoes a little bit bigger than their feet. Yeah, you don't need anything too small there. And about making sure that as you grow and you have some of those jank systems in place, you are setting time aside to fix them and make things better. All right, so we got some great things to talk about. So let's get into it. Let's do it. Uh, but this is a this is a real spicy one because oh, we've, yeah. we've changed we changed a lot of stuff software wise as we've grown up. Yeah, there's been pivots. There's been changes of heart. There's been improvements. There's been throwing out entire systems we thought would be useful. We've tried a lot. Yeah. And it, it really is a balance of like, ideally, every system in place has a lot of structure because things are organized. And that's an inherently good thing. But when you're small, putting that structure in place can get in your way. And also, it takes a lot of time and energy to stick to it. There are some things where you and I will just have a conversation and solve a problem. And in a larger organization, that would be a form that's filled out and sent to this department and gets a rubber stamp, you know? With a committee deciding if that should be a form <laughs> and what color rubber stamp. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like, there's so much. And that's what makes working at a small thing that's growing work really well. Is like, you can just deploy stuff really oh, yeah. fast. So it's kind of a balance of, like, how much structure do you put in place? How early and for what things? So we have a lot of examples. Uh, before we get into the specifics and like kind of how we chose to do this, I have this mantra that I say a lot that everyone here is probably really sick and tired of me saying because I say it all the time. But it's the difference between a tool and a project. And a tool is something that you just buy, you throw money at the problem, you get it off the shelf, and it just works. It's just a thing that solves your problem. And then a project is something that you have to like get into the weeds on and really understand and maybe futz with a little bit and tweak and tune and like this is something that 3D printers and like desktop pick and place machines kind of did, you know, right. going from a project where you have to tweak, it takes forever to a tool where you just send it a file and it works. Yeah. MakerBot kit versus Prusa i3. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a good comparison. So that's something that we think about a lot. And a lot of the ways that we've, the software acts as a tool. Like we might have a janky, like in between solution. that's kind of a project that doesn't take that much work, but it's not a good solution. Or we spend money on a tool <laughs> and it works really well. Or or we spend time on a tool and it just, it, you know, we, we set up our own system. Right. And sometimes it's a little counterintuitive where 
there's a real tool to do what we want, but it's so hard to set up. It's just worth using a Google Sheet right for as long as we can. Yep. Yeah. The the universal programming tool, the universal <laughs> jank programming Swiss Army knife that is a Google Sheet. <laughs> Google Forms and Google Sheets enable so much, so many abilities to deploy a little system for tracking and managing stuff but it's also so enabling of like bad behavior for data oh, yeah, management it gets, silly. <laughs> it gets silly uh cool so let's let's get into some of them hell yeah let's do it so the first the first chunk of these are like things that it makes sense kind of from the get-go to just get the tool and it might make sense to just spend the money on a thing that just works and you just buy the software um, and we're talking mostly about software here, but I think there's some some other things that are a little that you know might play in. But most of these are software tools. The examples of these are like Gusto is something that we use for HR. It manages sending people all the documents you need to sign when you get hired. It manages running payroll and like sending money out and all the tax forms. They will talk to all the tax organizations on behalf of you to make sure your tax stuff is set up. And yeah, it's so good. It lets us hire someone who's in a different state with employment laws we don't fully grasp and just help us figure it out yeah yeah and we just click hire from nevada and then all the nevada paperwork comes up and we just do what it says and it's it's great i don't want a project for that yeah (laughs) it's a seriously impressive tool it told us about like the school district that we had to like write a check to for one of the employees because they live in a certain county (laughs) it tracks all that stuff so you don't have to yeah yeah it's really good and and that's the thing where like we are not our thing here is building pick and place <laughs> machines. It's not learning tax laws in a random school district in Pennsylvania. That's not yeah. our thing. And certainly there's an open source version of HR and payroll tax software, but our interest doesn't lay in setting that up and managing it and maintaining it. Yeah. Running the updates, keeping it alive. Yeah. Yeah. It's worth it to just throw a little money at the problem and it's solved. It's so good. So that's a huge one. Another big one that we have is uh, Shopify. Oh, yeah. And that's what our whole website is run on. And like you can make your own website from scratch, figure out payment processing, blah, blah, blah. Or you just make a Shopify site. Yeah. It lifts away so many barriers to entry. Yeah. You don't have to have crazy rates on shipping out of the gate. Right. You don't need to have all these different tools. It just handles for you. It collects sales tax. It can do international fulfillment. It's just it's a beast of a tool. And there's comparable things like it. It's more of the point of just use an online store platform that's like well adopted right yeah you have to be a really large organization to spin your own site is kind of my feeling like it takes a long time for that to be a thing that like it makes sense to make your own uh like i think Formlabs did this i think they have they they use some other back-end tools for like some of the order management stuff but like the whole site was like there was a team that managed the website oh yeah so but like that does not make sense to start that's one to tackle later yeah, you, you have to think of it as like, does the payment processor fee on your online store tool cost more than a full-time software business system guy? <laughs> right, exactly. If Shopify is collecting more, less than like 50K a year from you, you probably should stick with Shopify yeah. or something equivalent. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> because they're you're effectively paying that software engineer to host your site. Kind yeah. Of, you know? And even no matter what, no matter if you make it yourself, a credit card processor still has a fee. Yeah. Yeah, so no matter you can't what. can't get away from that one. Yep. And th- this is almost a kind of an counterintuitive one where I think we kind of set it up earlier, or I did at least, that you start with a project and like a janky thing and then you move to a paid software tool. And this is the other way around. Immediately, we're saying you should start with a thing that just hosts your website and it works and it handles the money and all that stuff. And then maybe you should go back to a project. 
Mm-hmm. Like it might make sense where like you don't even want to use this certain thing anymore. It makes sense for you to spin your own because you're so big. So it's kind of backwards there. Yeah, it makes perfect sense, right? Like yeah. Apple would, they wouldn't consider using Shopify for an instance. They're so large that <laughs> yeah. they'll just create a team for that and nuke it. Right. It's probably like so many millions, like hundreds of millions of dollars a year they would lose to Shopify fees. It's Yeah, we will hire like 30 people today to solve this problem. Right. Like it just makes sense to do it. It's good stuff. Yeah. But like, you know, when you're starting out, yeah, happily pay that Shopify fee to just work on the thing you're trying to do, which is ship your hardware. Right. Build your community, fix bugs, ship stuff, make things better. That's what you should be focusing on. Setting up a website, it's cool, but like that's not that's not important in the scheme of things. No, and if there's a tool that lets you sell your stuff faster and you want to replace it with a cheap project later, get your stuff out to market. Yep. And then once you have stuff flowing and your initial system set up, then explore that. Yeah. But not first. Like to start, <laughs> just get the thing running, you know? So yeah, there are some of those that like, I think we just went straight to like, we just want to solve the problem. We're just going to buy the tool. Can you think of any others? Shopify and Gusto are the two big ones that come to my mind. Like we use Notion too. Um, yeah. And Notion's good. And we, I think we pay a little for that, but it's almost nothing. We went straight to HubSpot for customer support stuff. Yes. I want to get to that a little bit later because that one falls into kind of a weird other category for yeah. me. Uh, but yeah, we also did the same with HubSpot. We went straight to just paying them. I'm also thinking about like, we took a serious hard look at CAD out there and said, do we want to invest in something professional grade and like adopt an open source workflow around it? Yeah. So like early on, I approached SolidWorks and Onshape and a couple other CAD companies and asked if they could provide us with professional tools with change management plugins that would support collaboration with an open source community. And uh, the answer was just no. No. Yeah. <laughs> so we chose FreeCAD ultimately and continued to use it to this day, um, having pivoted the project away from fusion 360 yeah uh and it's been great yeah 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 so yeah that, that's another one that's when we considered more of the tool but we ended up not choosing it not for the business scale reasons but for like community accessibility reasons and also also money i mean like solidworks is really expensive and freecad is it's how much is it it's free <laughs> like and it's even a good example where we chose to make using freecad our project in a really good way where yeah there's CI built off of it, like our bomb export tools. Like we've heavily invested in FreeCAD as a project. Yeah. And building tools around its usage. That's a good point. Like we didn't just, like we could have paid for SolidWorks and we could have just paid for like their auto export. I'm sure there's some paid tool to like auto export all this stuff or paid a person to do it, right? But instead, we made that a project and I've spent dozens and dozens of hours of tweaking the ci to get it so you can hit build and it'll just poop out all the stls and make a bomb and like that's a pro that's a really good point we really chose a project on that one and we still did but in kind of a more nuanced way not just like the tool project dichotomy but the community accessibility you know a couple other things were playing in there there were a lot of reasons why it made sense to adopt that project for us yep like we you create a system where at the click of a button it does like probably 15 hours of bomb compilation work yeah yeah, it's yeah. insane. It's a nice tool. And, and uh, there's also the side of it that FreeCAD, like the more people that use a tool and like parts of FreeCAD are difficult to use. That's the topological naming problem is a big problem with FreeCAD. It just makes it so it's your work kind of gets nuked sometimes if you make a change in your feature tree, but they're working on it. And I think having a company like us, like a project like us back a tool that is clearly the free and open source parametric 3D modeling software that is is going to to take we're helping add credibility and support to that project like it's like look this company operates based on this 
Uh, I think we talked about this in like the intro too. We're helping back and support this thing that we believe in too. So there's even that reason as well for picking that as a, a software choice. Yeah. So ultimately not using Fusion 360, not using SolidWorks, created accessibility, all these awesome side effects. I think we made a great choice. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree. And, but, it gets and that was a project. Couple months. It, well, yeah, that too. Yeah, it also it also is constantly getting better. That that new release is real spicy. I love the changes they made. Oh yeah, one. yeah, it was good. What's another good example here? Yeah, I put assembly docs. Yeah, assembly docs is a great one. You want to talk about the difference there and like our switch to Ohi? Yeah. So on the internal assembly doc side, we've really been playing with like the full range of what's possible there. We started out in Google Docs and ended up being kind of clunky, hard to maintain. It was really distracting to have page breaks and like the <laughs> formatting and like the tab structure of Google Docs and how just awful it is with like bullet points and continuing bullet points. Just all these reasons why it was just annoying to author and it wasn't the real format we cared about. And I, I remember like folks on the line would like accidentally hit the space key on like when their like cursor was in the doc. And you would see like so-and-so made a change on this day and you'd go and you'd look and there's all these different versions and it's just like a bunch of random spaces or like wrote a character, deleted a character. It was too editable. Yeah. You and know, and because of Google permissions, I couldn't make it read only for people in the upload Google domain. Oh, really? and I couldn't undo all of the changes a person made. I could only do them in chronological order. Uh, that makes sense. So like yeah. if I didn't notice someone hit a bunch of space bars and deleted some random stuff, I couldn't just surgically undo a little bit it yeah. was awful yeah so like i could also do pdf well, why was that awful couldn't you just move forward with the the weird little edits or did you just not want that in the the history tree it would be hard to see what was deleted sometimes oh okay yeah that can be a little uh obscure it, it's not easy to see that in that yeah it's not the right tool no nah, it was it just didn't feel right yeah and like i tried printing out pdf exports of it i tried having printouts literal paper copies and it wouldn't have updates the right way i wanted yeah. people to be able to make changes and suggestions and we ultimately right. i looked at dazuki which is yeah. a paid tool for creating work instructions and sops mm -hmm. um and it's awesome we yeah. used, i used to use it at a 3d printing company i worked at in uh, watertown massachusetts yeah. and we really liked it for our contract manufacturers and our internal production lines but we just ultimately didn't need its firepower. Yeah. Yep. 100%. So we ended up going with another project, MK Docs. Mm -hmm. I'd seen the success we were having using it for the public facing assembly docs for like how to assemble a Lumen PMP when it arrives at your door. Yeah. And I said, we should just use the same system for the assembly docs that the team uses to make the thing that we ship to your door. Right. Uh, yeah. And it's great. It is great. Yeah. It allows Git control. There's version control because of that. There's mm -hmm. the ability to create an issue. All the niceties of Git. Yeah, yeah. It's it, it is on its own, its own product. It's the instructions on how to make the thing. It's its own little unit of work that has problems and has versions and has like just like anything else, any other repo in GitHub. And you just use that system for it. And and also it has the GitHub pages for hosting a website. You you push to main and it deploys. <laughs> <laughs> and then everyone in the office can just view this public web page and see the work instructions and Great. see updated for this version. It's awesome. And it's as complicated as we need, which is to say it's simple. Yeah. I don't need to change the font type when writing these docs. <laughs> I don't need to have captions under my images. I don't need two column. And it's just, it's the text and a bullet point and maybe an indented bullet point. And that's all you need. And you can just write it in Markdown. Yeah. Call it a day. It's so much more freeing. Yeah. So th that's... This is another situation of like, well, I don't know. It's hard to say because we didn't really, I wouldn't call a Google Docs a tool. That was kind of a project because it was like, that's not what Google Docs is for. And then we switched to MKDocs is maybe more of a tool. It's like a deployable thing. Sure, we had to make the repo, but like 
MKDocs is meant for documentation. So I'd argue that's kind of a project to tool move, you know, even though you're writing code, it's like, that's still a tool. It's a tool for deploying documentation. Yeah, I would say that something's a project if you're actively fighting its existence to make it work for you. <laughs> that's a cool analogy. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I was fixing formatting in sections I wasn't even affecting, like constantly Google Docs. It was yeah. awful. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it was, I had to walk uphill to make that work for us. But if you just slap some markdown onto a thing, into a document, and the page is up 20 minutes later, like... The MK Docs is the project for the MK Docs maintainers. Like, it's not a project for us. We just use with the stable version, and it's awesome, and it's a tool. Yeah, yeah. So that was one. But but also, this is a way of saying it is. It it made sense for us to keep work instructions in a Google Doc for a while. Yeah. It, if we had spent all the time to set up the internal repo, figure out how to do it, deploy the docs for like one person on the line, or if it was like you and me still building machines in like 2021. Yeah. That would have been a huge waste of time. So like when it became really frustrating, it was like, okay, you know what? This is actually really kind of, like you said, it's getting in the way. It's mm -hmm. like, okay, maybe I just, let me nuke two days and I'm just going to make this new, get the system set up, figure out MK docs. And we had already done it for our docs. So it was, yeah, it was great. It wasn't that bad to deploy actually. Yeah. A thing I'll say here too is never be afraid to just search for like Google doc to markdown conversion tool. <laughs> and like you yeah. might find some sketchy little Chrome plugin that gets you... <laughs> 80% of the way there. <laughs> right. There's so many weird cryptic online converter tools that do who knows what with your data. But <laughs> Yeah. But also if it's open source, it's like it was already there anyway. Yeah. And also like Google Docs is weird to share publicly. But like GitHub is a beautiful platform for online collaboration with anyone on the internet. Like and, and deploying. And anyone can go to ohio.opula.io and see the instructions. Yeah. If they're building their own thing. And like Google Docs is like uh, that's here's a google doc link to see how we make it that's just jank you know yeah and i've uh used google docs to build stuff published by other companies and it's you can almost hack them because they'll put a <laughs> hyperlink to like an internal sop <laughs> and someone accidentally set it to like read only with link yeah and like i've hopped from internal doc to internal doc have you really yeah why wow, was uh yeah no it's pretty doable <laughs> yeah because they're giving the permissions to that document yeah yeah so yeah. but yeah. but to just put it all in this public website it just make everyone's looking the same thing it's all it's great yeah sharing in uh google making google doc pages publicly from like a private like folder mm -hmm. it's kind of like leaving your front door unlocked yeah <laughs> yeah it is a little bit um d depending on what's in that that folder like if you have like like legal documents and like other like stuff you you can't share yeah you know the um also i should say ohi stands for open hardware assembly instructions ohai and it's a nod to lulzbot has a page called ohi.lulzbot.com and that's their internal assembly instructions so it's a bit of like a joke nod to like pointing it like they had done that as well um a funny thing about that too is um their version of ohi was this incredibly developed tool yeah, didn't they make their own thing for that? Yeah. That was a project. That was not a tool for them. Yeah, if you went to ohi.lulzbot.com, I'm not sure if it's still up to this day, but you could see that it was a server that ran documents and published them to the production line, and it would like track labor allocation and labor like usage. It would seem to see how quickly someone would move from one step to the next. Yeah, like, it did. It was like their whole, whole factory thing. thing. Um, I just checked it out now. It is still up, and it's based on something called Kit. So they have their own software tool. I think they spun themselves that does it using Fabricator and GitHub. So we'll put a link to this in the uh, the show notes so y'all can go check it out. It's a lovely site. 
uh, we just decided to go for more of a tool and less of a project for this one. And that worked out pretty well for us. But it's really cool. It's they they set up a really awesome system, but it definitely is it's a project. <laughs> <laughs> they chose project on that one big time. And I'm sure it was worth it to them. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm sure it was. They probably did this before Dazuki was even a thing. Probably. They, they probably made it out of necessity. But like we're really fortunate to have something like MK Docs where it's like we can just deploy, you know? So yeah. that, that that's been really good. Yeah, assembly docs is a really good example of that one. Like that's a great situation where you can slap it in a Google Doc and that worked great for like a year and a half. And yep. then it was like, okay, we're now growing out of this. Let's spend some time and get it better. And now we just have this great system. I think uh, inventory falls perfectly Ooh. into this category. So like how was in historically how we manage inventory here and like how did that change? So at first inventory was really, really simple because we had nothing. <laughs> <laughs> That's that is true. It was really easy to build out a simple inventory tracker when it was more about ordering for like an initial production. It felt like doing a group buy. Yeah. Or like this amount in will lead to this amount out. Right. And assuming that you have nothing left thereafter. Yeah. So in that paradigm, a Google Sheet was perfect. Right. I had a Google Sheet that would track what we need to buy and from who and how much it should weigh Got and it. how much the shipping cost for that piece was and all that mm -hmm. and coupled it with like a Shopify plugin to create a PO for that. Right. And it was all I needed. But the moment there's inventory depletion involved and different rates for various products that consume from the same types of inventory it's just too messy for us right and if if the minimum order quantity for one part is different for another and so you end up having to buy like five times let's say we're buying we did like a hundred uh machine purchase before we launched let's say we had to buy 500 of a thing okay so now we have five times as many for machines for one product but for another one we have exactly as much as we need so our reordering cadence is not always going to be cool we sold 100 machines time to buy 100 more it could yeah. be cool we have to buy this 60 percent of the bomb and then in three months we buy another 20 percent, and then in four days we buy another five percent like it it just it immediately gets messy yeah i'd be breaking a v look up every week if i still use google sheets <laughs> Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you absolutely would. You be. could make it work. And there's plenty of companies more mature than us that are further along than us that still do it. Totally. And it's fine. But they're probably catering their behaviors and habits around making it work for them. Right. And we wanted something that kind of worked for us. Yeah. And that's a little bit of the dichotomy here, too. Is do you work for the tool or is the tool working for you? Exactly. And with the inventory management software, they needed to be coupled to like the bomb management software. And it also needed yeah. to be coupled with the like production planning software. So we used a tool called Aligny. It's a combination of PLM, product lifecycle management, as well as MRP, material resource planner, mm -hmm. as well as just a production tracker. So yep. it lets us like schedule, hey, these four lumens are built this week. It's going to deplete this many pieces of aluminum extrusion from inventory, this many 100 microfarad capacitors from inventory. <laughs> yeah. Name it. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'd lose my head if I didn't have that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So when when did we roll that in and why? Like at what point... Were we because this was very much a you thing. You manage Aligny. You got right. it all set up. Like I know how to use it broadly, but like you're the Aligny dude. <laughs> so at, at what point? Like I think we had this sheet set up for that first 100 buy, and then when we blew past that first 100 on that first day, we we're like, oh crap, we need to reorder, and that happened in a sheet. What was the mentality moving into Aligny? There's just too much data. Yeah, I couldn't remember everything. The sheet was just getting silly. Mm -hmm. It wasn't tracking the changes of products well. Yep. A Google Sheet's great because it's two dimensions. There's your rows and columns. And honestly, as soon as we wanted to have more fidelity to it, it was great. The Google Sheet was great for having a price at a quantity. But like, what if I wanted to click on that item? 
right. and see what's the price of it across multiple quantities. Like, yeah. The Google Sheet that does all that is a monster. It's a piece of software. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You're really like a lot of the things that we do probably push a, a Google Sheet pretty far when we have more of the like project set up, the initial not a clean solution necessarily. But that was a lot. That was yeah. like, okay, there's they, they literally make software for this. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of it, it came from all my past work experience, like involved using these more professional like right. inventory tracker tools yeah and, like i knew what we were missing yeah it wasn't like uh something critical wasn't happening for us i just i knew how much better it could be right so frankly we switched to a really professional inventory and plm tool before it became an issue for us because we we saw the writing on the walls yeah yep and i think that's something that you and i have both tried to stick to as time has gone on here is in general we will always be just a little ahead in terms of structure. So we try and put structure in place that feels just maybe a little preemptive. Yeah. Because then that way, if something happens where it's like, oh, crap, three weeks of my life are going to get nuked because we have to set up this new production line. We have to fix this bug. We have to whatever. And and we grow. We get in a huge yeah. bunch of orders. We have the ability to scale up and accommodate that just in case. It's like a very slight just ahead insurance policy. Yeah. If, if you thought of Alpilo as a kid, there's no point in buying it shoes that are too small. <laughs> it can make sense to buy shoes that are a little too big. That is yeah. such a that's that no that's a great and a very cute analogy. Yeah. It's like uh, Opulo is a growing kid. Yeah. And you need to buy shoes that are a size too big. Right. Buying and shoes it, too small is useless. Yeah. 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 And buying shoes the same size also a little useless you're gonna wear them for you know six months and then you're growing out of them yeah it solves the problem that day you have shoes for the day but yeah. that even goes for the office when we got the office we're like oh man this space is way too big and now we're like bursting at the seams <laughs> so like it's the same thing you gotta buy shoes to grow into right and same thing goes with structure and and you know software and how we choose to to employ and that. it's important to say you can overdo it if you're a size six buy a seven don't buy a size 12 yeah right? yeah do you think we've done that ever? Well, I know we were trying to think about this earlier, but I can't, I don't know if we've really overshot. Like we were like, we set up way too much structure, way too early. We're just ahead of what's necessary. And every time we've done that, we've been like, oh, thank God that we set that up. We've we've also been behind. We've we've lagged behind on setting up structure where it would have been nice, but I don't think we've ever been ahead. I think we've a couple of times we bought very nice tools that we feel like we're wasting because we don't use them fully. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's more. You mean like hardware tools, like physical assembly, like like in. It could be either. Like we have the the hiring management software, um, right? For like synchronizing, uh, synchro. We had that uh, hiring software for syndicating job listings across Indeed, Monster, LinkedIn, all that, and most of the time we don't use it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> one day out of a hundred, we really need it. Right. That's that's a good point. And like sometimes it's that's also kind of insurance policy. Maybe we got like two or three sizes too big on that shoe size. Yeah. But it's also like, okay, fine. Then I wear some floppy shoes for a while, but like eventually I'll still use them, you know? Yeah. And fl floppy shoes in this analogy is spending more money than we have to. But. Exactly. <laughs> I remember uh, for the, the BYOP the Lumen V2 kit, mm -hmm. we were running around in a circle with shopping carts, putting all the things you needed for the kit into the box mm -hmm. and just walking around a room with all the stations you need to grab the stuff. And there was a section of nylon cable shroud and you had to sit there for like three minutes winding it up. Yeah. So it fit perfectly in this little pocket in the packaging. Yeah. And I just said, oh. This is the slowest part of the process. This is unacceptable. <laughs> so I thought naturally it makes sense to buy this fifteen hundred dollar 
nylon sleeve winding machine with like a built-in mechanism for putting a twist tie around your bunch. Right. It was awesome. Yeah. Coolest thing ever. Yeah. Jammed 50% of the time. Yeah. Saved maybe a minute. <laughs> and maybe we... extra time was needed when yeah. it jammed. Yeah. Made the person behind you wait when it jammed. Yeah. It was we, I, I think we right used idea. it for like three days. Yeah. It was like $500 a day usage of the thing. But like making mistakes like that happens. Because like we didn't know. We thought it was going to work great. And maybe, you know, like people wanted more BYOPs and they just really wanted semi-assembled, fully assembled machines. That was our best shot at the time. Yeah, I bought it thinking we're going to be making kits of our machines forever. Yeah. And based on what we learned from talking to customers, it's not always the most important thing. Yeah. The need for that thing. We were wrong. Yeah. Yeah. So like that kind of thing happens. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it <laughs> that that is a good I forgot about that whole arc. Yeah. yeah, that was a good one. We're we're fortunate enough to be able to uh, prefer overdoing it than underdoing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we can at least every once in a while. And like yeah. we can resell that thing and like it's it's okay. But yeah, sometimes it happens. I, I, I would say it's always better to err on the side of still sticking with the project for a little bit. Well, I shouldn't say that because sometimes we get ahead. <laughs> it, it's it's just really hard it's it's finding that balance constantly yeah you know like sometimes you get ahead on some stuff sometimes you're behind a little bit on some stuff on setting up structure like great examples where we're behind is uh print farm management we're pretty like well what do we need well let's print that yeah we ran out of feeder frames yesterday we thought we had hundreds right because it felt like we would printed so many yeah it's yeah like, oh. <laughs> but we just we just don't have a system for that so and we have plenty of printers so in that way we've kind of We've kind of solved the problem by just having a lot of production capacity that like we realize, oh, we need frames and we just made a bunch of them and it was no problem. Like, yeah. we, and, and that's kind of why we don't track it because it's we don't have to. So that's one that like we we could do for putting that in there. Like th- there's some need for having some structure there, but it's yeah. not necessary and with where we are. A tangent to that one that's interesting I'd like to touch on yeah. was. We've built print farm trackers. We've built tools that tell our operators how much they need to print in a week. And we've even made Google calendars that tell them, run this print here, run this print there. Yeah. And it's really important when you're trying to ramp up a line. Yeah. But it also was such a detriment to productivity. Uh, We were working around the tool. Yeah. Um, It took time to, like, set the schedule up. It became so much easier to just print on demand. It was like you said, we have the printers we have i call them horsepower like we have the horsepower to just print reactionarily yeah um it's just such a problem space to make something that solves that problem solves that problem yeah so that's a great example of like maybe you shouldn't have a system yeah if just handling it bespoke is better and works better for your workflow do that i think about robin the guy who made the pixel pump Looking at his production processes, he's such a gem. Everything is beautiful and he makes all these little tools and systems. He makes everything a project and he does a gorgeous job with all of it. And he doesn't have to for a lot of those things, but he chooses to because that's what works for him. That's the way that he chooses to do it. And it's gorgeous. He has such lovely setups and they're all really, really nice. But if you and I were doing that, we would be much more bespoke with a lot of those decisions just because that's the way that we choose to op- to operate. You know, it just depends. Yeah, he really turns it into an art form. Yeah, yeah, that's a really good way. To say it. He turns it into an art form. And for us, we don't, it's less about 
turning it into an art form. We're less masterful and beautiful about it. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're a little bit more uh, more direct, I guess. Yeah. Um, like I'm sure he would have a whole system set up for print production planning and all that stuff. But for us, it's about you know what's going to be the most effective for time of shipping this thing, and if we can do it without a system. We're gonna do it. We're yeah. gonna we're gonna just oh we need this. Let's print a lot of those. As an example, like in the the Lumen Bill of Materials, it says you need a thousand grams of filament. Right. When you like look at the production, uh, when you look at what material is required to do a build, mm-hmm. it it doesn't say you need two legs, uh, four tensioner bars. Like yeah, we could make it so the print parts are as if we had to buy them and I have to make a build for these print parts and they'd sure. be tracked and there'd be an inventory as like four legs, four spool arms, like what yeah. have you. Yeah. But it's just the bloat that would add just isn't worth it to Imagine us. if we wanted to update an STL and you have to go into a liney and like slice it in a printer, see how many grams it consumes, put that number into a liney of like, oh, this arm now takes up, you know, 28 grams instead of 27. I'm like, <laughs> oh my gosh, that's, that's a waste of time. Yeah, that is a system that doesn't add anything to our decision making. It doesn't help. It's not worth setting that kind of thing up. So that's an obvious no. You know, like there is a certain amount of structure that makes sense. Only employ structure where it is necessary. Right. Don't do it when it's not going to help you accomplish yeah. a goal. And be, I think for us, it's been important to be ready and willing to turn something off. Like yeah, we, like the print farm trackers we've had before. Like we go, hey, this sucks. We don't need to be this bespoke or uh, foot in mouth about this. Yep. Yeah, 100%. Like, if it's not working, turn it off. Turn it off. It, it, it's okay. That's fine. It, it's about <laughs> doing the thing that's pragmatic. Turn off your software subscription. If that software tool isn't working for you, ditch it. Yeah, just ditch the microtransaction. Just, <laughs> yes. There's there's another tool that I uh, really like that we spend money on. It's not that much, but it's so good, which is Guru. So Guru is a knowledge management tool. And we heard about this from our buddy, Gabe. And... At first, he told me about it, and I was like, this sounds like a thing that I don't need, and it's going to waste time and money, and it's just going to replicate information, and it's going to be messy. No, it's so good. It, you pretty much make a card with information in it. There's a there's a question at the top, and then there's information in it, and it's a knowledge base for like customer support or sales or people that may not be directly touching the product constantly but need to know information about it or any company knowledge. But the thing about it is each single card has a time limit. And after a certain amount of time, it sends the card owner an email saying, hey, verify this is still true. So it makes sure that there's no bit rot. There's no information decay. So I get an email every Monday morning saying, hey, Stephen, here's the cards you own. What is out of date? And I just go, it takes me 30 seconds. I go through and I go, yep, that's still true. That Oh, that actually changed a little bit. Let me change it. So it makes sure all your information is up to date. I thought this was going to be uh, buying size nine shoes for a size six foot, right? Yeah. It was not. It ended up being really, really good because it's so consistent. We have a great base. It is a couple sizes too big, but it's not huge. If we hire on, let's say we hire like a a salesperson or something like that, and they need all this information about like, what does the product do? Blah, 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 blah. They could just go into Guru and it's all tracked. It's all kept up to date. All this information, it's recorded in a place that someone can just get spun up. So yeah, that's a couple shoe sizes too big. We started doing that a year ago, but we are so teed up for any future growth. It's so it's such a good tool. So that was one that I thought was overreaching and ended up being wicked useful. Um, and Mitchell uses it all the time for customer support, keeping track of the status of things. Like it's just so good. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm glad it's been successful for us. Yeah, yeah, that's been a really good one. Um, and then the the other one that I I'd really like to touch on here is uh, for testing stuff and like 
how, and then HubSpot, because that's a whole other thing, the customer support bit. But for testing, everything that you make needs to get tested, right? Oh, yeah. So whether you do that fully automated or fully manual is is another one of these, like, do you employ a system? This is less about software. Uh, but when I made the test jig, before the test jig for the motherboards was all up and running, that first batch of machines that we made, I manually checked every pin connection on every single motherboard myself. And that was fine. It was laborious. And I got through Lord of the Rings books one and two while doing it. <laughs> but that made sense at the time. And then once we had a little breathing room, we got the jig up and running. And then we put that in place. So that's just yet another example of it's okay to put kind of a rough, not easily scalable solution in place first just to get the engine running, right? Just to get the wheels moving and then worry about fixing some of those things afterwards, improving the systems later. But you have to prioritize doing that because otherwise that old system is just going to live. It's going to suck. Oh, yeah. yeah. And like no bridge is built without like a rope being across the ditch first (laughs) (laughs) that's a great analogy yeah you have to start with something yeah yeah uh, we we couldn't start by selling boards that were untested it's just the liability there'd be insane yeah and it's it's rude (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) we got to make sure that they all work so how how that that's off the table how automated is that how much do we how well does it scale and like i I, there's a line uh, it's it's like do things that don't scale and like i think that works sometimes especially for uh software you can automate a lot of that stuff later with hardware it's a lot harder i think to be able to say that but for this testing thing we knew we could make a test jig to do solve some of these problems yeah so let's just make the tests ourselves first and then we'll move on to making it more automated later yeah and if we fast forward to the v3 launch where we began selling the machine like a mostly or partially assembled state Mm -hmm. uh shipped to the customer in like seven sub assemblies i think it was yeah we were building the whole machine, plugging it all in, wiring it together, yeah. and making sure it could move yeah. before taking it apart and putting it back in the box. Right. And uh, <laughs> that was, we were avoiding having a tool or a project there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we just bashed our heads against the wall. It was kind of a project. Yeah. You know? And then we built a tool later of Gundam, the test software we have, and the jig for testing things. And We found ways to make that easier later, but we did that for a while and that was okay. It kind of sucked for a while, but it got machines out the door. It got people testing it. We learned from it. We grew from it. It was great. Yeah. It also had an an important value in showing us what didn't matter, like what was unimportant, what was important, Mm -hmm. like what did we care the most about testing and it helped inform how did we develop tests for like what given assembly? What do we consider like a testable module? Like it really helped. Doing it the hard way kind of shaped like how to abstract it into more like piecewise function. Do, do you think that was also the case for like choosing a liney for our uh, inventory management stuff? Like having understood exactly what it meant to do the whole Excel sheet and like what information do I want? That must have teed you up a ton to know what you wanted from that software. Oh, entirely. I did a couple like calls with sales leads at different PLM softwares. And right. I had some very pointed questions. And yeah. Really t- went straight into the weeds. Like I, I got on a call of one PLM software and I, I asked them my hardest question first. They said, no, I said, thank you for your time. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So sometimes it's, it will save you a lot of time from picking the wrong tool down the road. If you just choose, you, you do the project first and figure out exactly what you want from it with your jank solution. Yeah. So you know how to fix it later. Yeah. For the Google sheet really struggled to have, uh, it was revision control. Right. If a part can't be listed in a database with multiple revisions and like the nuance of like what root bomb as what revisions 
we didn't care about it. Interesting. That's a cool one. <laughs> yeah. So it can be really beneficial to start with your janky projects. But like, I trust that Shopify knows what I need from a web store better than I do. <laughs> so that's one where it's like, yeah, I'm not that different. I'm selling something online. Shopify probably has my edge cases covered. <laughs> I oh, don't yeah. need to do the project first. I can just trust that they have it figured. They know better than I do, you know? And at the least, it's a great starting point if there's something that we know better. Right, exactly. And sometimes we, if we have a need for a thing, like we want a tool just off the shelf and it doesn't exist, then we'll consider making it, we'll take it upon ourselves to make it a project and build the thing if it could be useful to other people in the space. And like, obviously the Lumen is the best example of this. Like we very <laughs> much made a desktop pick and place machine our project. So it could be a tool for others. But even in terms of like organizational stuff, we have like uh, the bomb export tool and like that whole CI build thing for like, if you put your bomb in the standard format, it'll just poop out a pretty little bill of materials for you. That is a, a tool anyone else could clone and use. I want to put it into its separate a separate repo and like have it be a thing that you can just import into your GitHub repository. And oh, it just yeah. that would be so cool. I've I've been had that on my list. I want to. We're do gonna that. try to use it for a Nerf blaster project. Are you really? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know that. Mm -hmm. That's so cool. I want to see how it works for us. Oh, that's wicked cool, yeah. dude. Okay, <laughs> actually, that would be a great first use case for it. Yeah. Maybe I, I should get that repo together. I should get. I, I'll do it. I'll do it. Okay. That would be really cool. But yeah, like, so that's the thing where like, okay, I want this tool. It doesn't seem to exist. Okay, whatever. We'll make it a project. We'll own it. We'll set it up. We'll figure it out. And then that will become maybe useful for other people. If not, then whatever. We turned it into a tool for ourselves. Yeah, and you usually will barf out like an MVP version of a tool within mm -hmm. like a weekend or a couple hours. And yeah. It's just, it proofs out the idea of it. Right. And it's great. Yeah, exactly. And then the open source community or people on the internet go, you dummy, do it this way, and then it gets better. You know, like I can make an MVP. <laughs> yeah, that's th that's a good part of it. And another thing that I've been feeling this about a lot, especially lately, because the test jig for the motherboard is showing its age. I made a couple mistakes about it not being that. Um, it doesn't have good protection on a lot of the pins. So if a certain components <laughs> are soldered wrong, it just totally nukes the thing, and it get, it gives me an hour detour. Uh, that Matthew McConaughey meme from uh, Interstellar. This little maneuver is going to cost us 58 <laughs> years. That's why I feel every time, you know, but it's that that thing needs to be replaced. And I, so I'm thinking a lot about like factory test things. We, we run a lot of factory tests and I want to save all that data. And like right now we log it to a Google sheet and that's trash. <laughs> and Google's it's fine. It works. We have all our data logged, but it's, that's bad. That's a, that's jank. Yeah, it's less of a database, more of like a data zoo. It's just all <laughs> over the place. <laughs> yeah, that's true. And I do have like, it's it's the most jank thing ever because like I'm trying to follow proper database schema of like mapping things together and like, but it it's an Excel sheet. It's not good. So I've been thinking a lot about like what is a a factory data management software tool look like where you have all these nodes around the factory, which is just our office. And every time we like test the feeders and Gundam, it logs data to that that server that we host locally or or it's some, you know, AWS instance or something like that. And maybe other people that are doing production at home or at their, you know, small business or something need that too. Oh, yeah. So maybe that becomes a project that we take on that ends up becoming a tool for everybody else because I have to build it for us either way because we're <laughs> we're showing our age here with our system. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's It's gotten quite silly how many times the production line has ground to a halt because the qc data log google sheet ran out of rows <laughs> i think it's only been twice no <laughs> like does every, it happen more and you just haven't told it's like it. every month 
I have to just go in and add 3,000 rows. That's so cringe. <laughs> That's so cringe. But like, and you know what? It, we're still logging it. It still works. I know it's not good, but we've been able to, we've literally saved data from every single circuit board we've ever shipped from when it was just you and me and Jaden in here making that first round of kits. We have data from yeah. all of that. I did nothing different. It was, it's been perfect. It's worked okay. And it, I've also been saving it in a format that we can move it into a database okay. So like, think employing a janky system at first planning on scaling it up later setting yourself up that you can is totally acceptable it's totally fine it's worked great for us and right now i'm like working on killing some of that tech debt but the the bad thing is when you set up a system like that and then you don't kill your tech debt you let that thing live and fester and glom on and you don't fix the problem and that's the real key of the thing you know yeah that's where you can do some really convoluted processes and like mental gymnastics or process gymnastics just to make like a crappy system work yeah yeah it's like ah well you know maybe you you need to organizationally choose to invest in killing the tech debt and if you don't make it so that it is culturally and organizationally acceptable at your company to take time to kill an old system truly put it down and re-implement or jump into a new thing and get full company buy-in on that new thing then this doesn't work. You should set up those systems really early. <laughs> you really got to pick right. But we know that if a jig isn't working, yeah, it makes so much sense for us to stop what we're doing, set up a new thing, keep the line running smooth, improve organizationally. Like we prioritize that. Yeah. But if you don't, if if you know people say like, oh, this is just this is just a, a test implementation just to get it running. Like this is temporary. No, that becomes the permanent one. If that's the cultural move, you're done. Yeah. <laughs> The second you realize it's silly to have someone count the 3D prints they've made in a week, have them stop. Right. Yep. <laughs> yeah. 100%. 100%. Uh, the last thing that we spend money on software-wise that's significant is HubSpot, which is our CRM or... Uh, customer, customer Relationship Management. Thank you. Customer, customer Relationship Management or Manager Management Tool. And HubSpot, we originally set it up because we wanted it for customer support emails. And they paywall... One critical feature, and that feature is when a customer emails you back, it moves that ticket to a different uh, queue of tickets. And that's so important for knowing when someone gets back to you. If someone's like, oh, I, I tested this and it didn't work, or like, I found this, I discovered this thing, we need to know so we know to hit them back. Otherwise, you literally just have to search through every ticket you've ever gotten. So they pay all this one critical feature that makes it even usable. It's, it's awful. It's so much money. But I refuse to accept a system where we could miss those emails. It's just not worth the time. And it makes one customer unhappy. It's not worth it. Yeah, that's not one to skimp on. So we pay through the nose for this. And we could switch to a different thing. And we've I, I actually recently spent a lot of time looking like, do we switch to something that's cheaper? Do we switch to something that we can like host ourselves or whatever? This needs to be a tool for us. I don't want to spin our own, host our own. Like if we could pay someone to do it, that's fine. I prefer to do that. If it's open, great. But it needs to check all the boxes and like also handle the sales part. And does it connect with Shopify and all these other things? Nothing does it like HubSpot. So here they're kind of gutting us. The tool that we really need is really expensive. And that's just what we do. Yeah. And luckily we can afford it. And yeah. uh, the free tier was good enough to get us to the point where we could pay for more of the features. Yep. We yeah. We were able to put up with the 
can't tell if a ticket had been responded to back when there weren't many customers. There wasn't much action. Yeah. It was you and I sharing that responsibility before we had some awesome people helping us. Right. Yep. And yeah. it was good. It was and we good. grew into it. We did. We did. And, you know, if you have a couple of emails here and there, you just make it an email inbox. And that's a really good like project style. Like you just log into that email all the time. But we get so many emails of people like really more sales inquiries of like, hey, I want to buy the machine. I have a question for you. Like that's most of the volume, which is they really are sales emails, I guess. But that there, there's too many people inquiring about things for us to be able to just do it that way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we need a system to manage it. So sometimes it makes sense to just drop the dough on a tool and, and move on. Yeah. Even though it's a <laughs> it bummer. It feels bad. It does feel bad. And it especially gets under my skin because it's like, they're paywalling a feature that they know makes it usable. It bothers me. But yeah, we got to do what's pragmatic and what makes sense. We need this feature. HubSpot's the best for it. We can afford it. We do it. Yeah. I'll say it this way. It can feel painful to look at what our software subscriptions cost per month. but mm -hmm. And like, oh, what would we do with that money if we didn't spend it? Oh, sure. But like, how long would it take to <laughs> replace all these licensed <laughs> subscriptions with homebrew right and how awful would it be and and, like, and not only like a lot of those tools don't just it's not like just a one-time setup thing it's like a consistent like quickbooks and gusto and all these things are like actors are accountant and hr manager and like to some degree of course sure but like they do so many of these things i was talking to joel about this actually about like or or michael uh about like you can just deploy a company yourself so easily now because there's so many web tools. If you can spend $600 a month on web tools and you're making at least that amount of money, you can just hire, quote unquote, hire a whole team of like administrative management people, which is really just software tools. It's yeah. so cool. So you, you can lean on that. If you're making a little money and you can switch over to those tools, do it. It's so It's so much better than hiring for it or trying to deal with it yourself. Yeah, and we've, I think we have a really good balance of leaning on the existence of that, knowing that there's like a service to do anything we need so that we can focus on the parts we care about, the parts we're good at. Right. Yeah, I totally agree. So in conclusion, I think a, a lot of our approach to this is we choose to be two, sh two shoe sizes above our current feet size. We try and use tools that are just a little bigger so we know that we're growing into them, but we're not adding so much extra red tape and organizational structure that gets in our way. And then the other part of it is that if we recognize that we'd be good at solving a problem, we might become willing to invest in like creating the tool or project ourselves right. to share with publicly yeah. or keep internally when we're until we're ready. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. It, 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 oh, and also that it's really good to try and start with a project at first on some things. See what you want in the tool, like with Aligny and figuring out inventory management. See what you want. You had those pointed questions going into those things. Yeah. So when you pick the tool... You know it's going to work for you. And Aligny works so well. It's it's exactly what we want. It's perfect. It's so good. So, yeah. Hashtag not sponsored. Yeah. <laughs> Aligny it is free up. for open source projects, though. That's right. I forgot yeah, about I, that. Yeah, I do want to mention that. It yeah. It is free to run an open source organization. If you want to use Aligny for your personal project, have at it. Yeah. The yeah. more cool projects on there, the better. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's very cool. Lastly, there are some tools that don't even try to do it yourself. It's just worth... $40 a month if you can swing 40 bucks a month for your company to use Gusto or QuickBooks or some of those other things that's just buy the tool. Yeah. D don't try and deal with it yourself. It's so much easier. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Don't don't spin that from scratch. Don't pay the idiot. Pay the idiot tax and just get the thing. Yeah. Just do it. <laughs> <laughs>
All right, folks, that's it for this one. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to leave a review wherever you get your podcast. It helps us out a ton for other people finding the podcast. You can find Opulo on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And also don't forget to check out opulo.io and sign up for our newsletter where we write blog posts and do customer interviews with other folks building open hardware. And we'll see you in the next one. Thanks, guys. See ya. myself where I, was, I, I saw where my mouth was going and I'm like, ah, oh, I'm going to finish the sentence and make a note of that. Uh-uh.